Uh, last week we talked about how Joshua was commissioned as the new leader of Israel right after the death of Moses. Uh, Joshua had served as a spy and a military commander under Moses. Uh, Moses had mentored him and prepared him uh, to assume uh, this uh, mantle of leadership. And then as uh, we talked about, Joshua heard God's uh, clear uh, charge where he, he told Joshua to be strong and courageous. God uh, called Joshua to face the huge challenge of leading uh, the people with strength and courage from God. So this week in chapter 2, uh, Joshua is actually only mentioned a couple of times. He's mentioned in the first and last verses of the chapter. That's because the writer uh, decided to teach us a few more things about God uh, before Joshua leads the people across the Jordan River. And the writer does this by introducing a new character. Uh, today, we meet, we meet Rahab, uh, a prostitute living in Jericho. Uh, prior to the crossing uh, of the Jordan River, uh, Joshua sent two spies to explore the land, uh, particularly Jericho, uh, the first town that they sought to conquer. And the Bible tells us that these two, when these two spies entered Jericho, uh, they spent the night in the house of uh, Rahab. And uh, by the way, there's no indication uh, that they, the two spies uh, did anything immoral in that place. Uh, they were just uh, trying to find a place to hide, uh, trying to seek out information. So I'll, I'll read the chapter and then pray. So Joshua chapter 2. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them, she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order, in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them 
and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, said to the spies, Go into the hills, where the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your own way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his, built shall, his blood shall be guilt, guiltless. I mean, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. The spies departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned, and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Praise God for his word. Lord, we thank you. And again, we ask that you teach us this morning through this uh, story of Rahab, the spies, and um, you teach us why you have placed us here in your word. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this uh, account of Rahab raises a number of uh, questions, such as, you know, how did Rahab become a believer in Yahweh, you know, the God of the Jews, the Lord? How did the spies know that Rahab would be sympathetic to their cause and turn, not turn them over uh, to the authorities? And then, of course, there's the issue of Rahab lying in uh, verses 4 through 5 in order to protect that protect the spies. And, and often the question is raised, does this mean that lying is justifiable and appropriate at times? So I'll answer, try to answer some of these questions as we go through the chapter. So again, in chapter 1, uh, Joshua, the successor of Moses, received a charge from God. Uh, he said, uh, God said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this river, this Jordan River, you and all this people and into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel, be strong and courageous. So in this week, in chapter 2, Joshua begins to take charge. Before he was given a charge, now he's taking charge. He's the leader now. And having learned from his own experience as a spy with Caleb when he was sent out with Moses, uh, Joshua now sends his own spies into the land. Uh, where he says, go, view the land, especially Jericho. So um, Joshua was especially interested in Jericho because of its strategic location. It was a fortified city, 
and it actually split the Canaanite tribes from north to south. So if he could occupy Jer Jericho, he'd have a, um, a good position there in, in which to uh, uh, conquer the rest of the land. You know, Jericho was small, but it was a heavily fortified city, and, and the Canaanite people were known to be fierce warriors. So the spies from first one, uh, they came and went to uh, Rahab's house. Uh, so if, you, if you've never heard the story before, you might be thinking right there, you know, seriously, you know, Joshua handpicks two spies uh, for an incredibly important mission, and the first thing they do is they go to a house of a prostitute. Uh, well, yeah, you might be thinking that, but they went there for a good reason. As I said before, uh, most scholars agree that, you know, nothing happened there. The spies went there uh, most likely because it was an inn. Uh, Rahab was an innkeeper as well as a prostitute. And what, what better place to go and gather information and, and to blend in with the crowd? So that this uh, reminded me of the scene from Lord of the Rings where uh, the hobbits uh, ended up in the uh, inn called the Prancing Pony. Remember that? Uh, so they, uh, they went there to meet Gandalf. They went there to get more information. And, of course, that inn was frequented by all sorts of people around the land. So that's, you know, the picture I have in my head of uh, what Rahab's uh, inn was probably like, you know, except, of course, you know, Rahab's inn didn't have hobbits. Um, so, at least, you know, that's not in the Bible. So wh while the spies were there, they got found out. Uh, you know, the, 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 the king found out, behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So either they weren't very good spies, uh, or most likely uh, their coming was, was probably anticipated. I mean, uh, as, as we read from uh, Rahab's uh, confession, you know, they knew all about the Israelites. They were probably expecting this to happen. So then, of course, the, the king uh, sent men to find the spies from verse 3. So at this point, it gets pretty dramatic. You know, not only were the officials in Jericho aware of the spies, they knew exactly where they were. They had the spies trapped, and Rahab, uh, a pagan Canaanite prostitute, could have easily and justifiably uh, given the spies away to save her own skin. Uh, but Rahab does the opposite of what you might think she would do. She hides the two spies. Verse 4, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And we don't, know, we don't learn why she hides the spies uh, until we get all the way to verse 8. You know, meanwhile, she tells four lies, all in one, or, or one and a half verses. Uh, she said, true, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they came from. Lie 1. Uh, verse 5, when the, when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. Lie 2. I don't know where the men went. Lie three, uh, pursue them quickly for you will overtake them. You know, lie four. Uh, so not only is Rahab a pagan, you know, Canaanite prostitute, she's also a big time liar. So she's, she's not exactly um, a woman you'd want your son to bring home for dinner. So, but Jace, just in case you were wondering, uh, just because we have a character in the Bible lying, yeah, I'm bringing this up because this is a big issue with, with, with a lot of people. So she's lying. She's lying for a good cause, and the results end up being good. Uh, we can't then make the argument that lying is acceptable to God. Uh, lying is still sinful. 
You know, God is still perfectly holy. Uh, the story just describes what had happened. It doesn't endorse it. it uh, in fact, it doesn't condemn it. It's just, it doesn't make any con- commentary on our actions. And it, it, but even so, I probably would have done the same thing. And most of us probably would have done the same thing. And then worried about the consequences after. Uh, verse 6 is uh, somewhat uh, parenthetical. You know, but she, it says where, but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax. Uh, flax is just one of those little details that the, the author adds uh, to add interest and drama to the story. You know, flax was used to make linen. They used to dry the linen in piles on top of the roof. You know, so it wasn't all that unusual for someone to have piles of flax on the roof. Verse 7 uh, shows that the king's men uh, fell for the lies. Uh, they're just as incompetent as the spies. Uh, so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So the king's men assume that the spies uh, took off back to the Jordan River uh, from where they came. Now, uh, again, uh, it seems like the men, the king's men are just as incompetent as the spies, but you know, we can reasonably assume that they had a good reason to believe Rahab and take her for a word. You know, after all, she did at first confess that the men had uh, been there. Uh, then she appears loyal uh, to the, the throne, to the city, by then suggesting a plan that the king's men capture the spies. So, you know, we, we can give them a little break there. But there's another detail from uh, verse 7 that we shouldn't uh, miss, and it also adds to the drama, is that when the king's men left the city, they shut the gate behind them. So what happens to the spies now? They're trapped. They're trapped uh, in the city. So now they're completely vulnerable. They're completely dependent on Rahab for their protection. There's there's no way out of the city for them, or so it appears. And and Rahab could turn them in at any time. And she could then cover herself with with a few more lies. Uh, So again, uh, at this point, something very unexpected happens. Uh, Before the two spies hide themselves, Rahab goes to the roof to have a talk with them. And she has a lot to say. Uh, What she she has to say forms the center of this whole chapter. It's the point of the whole chapter. And and, uh, it's also uh, one of the longest uninterrupted statements by a woman in in the whole uh, biblical narrative, you know, which shows, you know, how important her words are. Verse 9, Rahab says, I know, I know that the Lord has given you, the Israelites, the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For, okay, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So now, when you sit down and read a book like Joshua, you know, that reads like a story, uh, technically it's called historical narrative, 
one thing to keep in, the, in mind is that the writer isn't just telling a story. The writer isn't just describing historical events that occurred. The writer is also making a point. There's something uh, there that he's trying to teach. He, he's usually trying to tell you something about God or, or something about you and your relationship with God. In other words, you know, there's some theology in there. And, and this lengthy statement by Rahab is the meat uh, of the theology found in chapter 2. Now keep in mind that this incredible uh, risk that Rahab is taking for both herself and her uh, family by hiding the spies, lying to the king's men, and then having the conversation uh, she's about to have with the two men. So this is a huge risk for her. And everything that she's doing here could be considered high treason and punishable by death. So you'd have to say that there's something profound that's been happening in Rahab's heart at this point that's causing her uh, to, to take such bold and risky actions. And as, um, as Rahab opens up in, in a conversation with the two spies, you know, she begins by revealing uh, three facts. First of all, Rahab tells them that she herself personally knows that the Lord has given the land of Canaan to the Israelites. This is the conclusion that she's reached. Uh, through hearing about the Israelites and the miracles that were done uh, among them in Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in the land of the Amorites. So she's, she's giving a, a clear expression of her personal belief in, in the one true God. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Rahab even uses the Jewish name for uh, the one true God, which is Yahweh, um, which she uh, later uh, specifies as Yahweh your God. And again, she states that He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So in other words, Rahab has come to the conclusion that Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, is the one true God who rules over the entire universe. And she is confessing her personal belief in Him to the two spies. So again, something amazing had happened uh, in her heart through, obviously, the working of God. Uh, second, Rahab gives the spies some encouraging information. Uh, that, that's part of the reason they were there. Uh, the information was about how the people in Jericho are feeling about the Israelites. You know, they're pretty freaked out. She describes them as living in terror of the Israelites. Uh, great fear, she says, has fallen on both Rahab and the other people living in Jericho. And, and they were all terrified of what was going to happen. And then again, uh, lastly, uh, Rahab goes even further to tell the men that all the inhabitants of the land uh, had melted away before them. So this, this seems to include not just the people of Jericho, but all the people dwelling in the land of Canaan uh, as a whole. So, you know, perhaps uh, due to her connections uh, with the travelers, you know, coming and going through the inn uh, and, and through Jericho, if she had observed or heard um, that the great terror of the Israelites was widespread in, in the land. So here, God is uh, graciously uh, providing the Israelites with, with some, you know, faith-building uh, information uh, prior to their entry into the land. 
But I want to highlight in the last part of verse 11 what Rahab had concluded uh, from what she'd heard and seen about the red crossing and the defeat of the Amorites. Again, her conclusion is he is God in heaven and on earth beneath. You know, that's her confession of faith. And amazingly, it's, it's part of the covenant God uh, made with Israel. Uh, in, De- in Deuteronomy at Mount Sinai, Moses said about God, he said, and because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day, Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. It sounds a lot like what Rahab confessed, doesn't it? So her many and useless gods you know, just don't matter to her anymore. They're, um, but unfortunately, the only confession we get in this story is Rahab's. Uh, the people... Uh, probably have reached the same conclusion as Rahab. And they might have even believed that they're, you know, they're on the wrong side of this battle. Uh, but it wasn't a belief that saved them. And, and this, was, this was because, as we'll see, uh, as we continue through Joshua, uh, they didn't surrender and align themselves with the one true God, like Rahab did. But instead they chose to resist Him and, and take their chances and fighting against God. And this is, this is very important to remember and, and keep in mind as we study Joshua and, and as we watch God's judgment and wrath unfold on the inhabitants uh, of the land of Canaan as God's people enter the promised land. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks because a lot of people you know, think that um, you know, genocide happened here. And then they talk about you know, what's the deal with this loving God you know, wiping out whole... Uh, cities of people. But again, we'll talk more about that. But we need to remember the 400 years uh, the Israelites were in Egypt. During that 400 years, the people of Canaan, the people who lived in the promised land, God had given them all that time. He'd given them all that time to repent of their wicked idolatrous and child sacrificing ways. I mean, they, this was uh, one wicked uh, group of people. But they didn't. Uh, the, the problem uh, for all, uh, all people is, is you don't know how much time God is going to give you on this earth to repent and believe. You know, we don't know if we're going to last you know, even for the next half hour. So there's an urgency to salvation because we don't know how long our days are going to be. Uh, that's why the Bible says today is, is the day of salvation. Uh, we, we can't wait any longer uh, to put our, our faith in, in Jesus, our, our Lord and Savior. Now Rahab uh, has avoided judgment uh, by placing her faith in the one true God, uh, turning her back on the, the wicked ways of her, you know, herself and her, uh, her culture, her people. And, and in a very real sense, she joined uh, the people of God, Israel. She became part of Israel. And, and that's God's intention for Israel all along. That through them, through the nation of Israel, 
and, and ultimately through Israel's greatest son, you know, Jesus Christ, through them people would be drawn in faith. Again, just as God had promised Abraham centuries before, where he says, I will make of you a great nation, Israel, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you, Israel, all the families of the earth uh, shall be blessed. So after this great confession of Rahab, uh, who, by the way, again, was a lying pagan Canaanite prostitute uh, who God um, called to faith. So if you think that God couldn't possibly want anything to do with you, well, you know, think again. I don't know if you can uh, top uh, Rahab's life. And after Rahab makes that confession, you know, she, she puts her faith into action. Uh, she puts her faith into action in a few ways. You know, first she sees to it that her, her family isn't harmed uh, when the Israelites attack Jericho uh, by getting the, the spies to commit to their protection. Uh, second, she ensures the safety of the spies themselves. Uh, again, she's now one of them. And so, uh, first her family. Now then, uh, please swear to me by the Lord... Again, uh, that's the, uh, the covenantal name of, of the Israelite God. That as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Um, and, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. You know, how many of us can relate to that? Uh, we, we've experienced the grace and mercy of God and, and we desperately want to share the same with our families. You know, it reminds me of um, the disciple Andrew who after uh, meeting Jesus, the first thing he did was he went to tell his brother Simon. And the woman at the well uh, who after meeting Jesus went back and she told the whole village about this Jesus that she met. And uh, we, I know I, I need to pray, but we need to pray for that kind of boldness, especially around our families uh, when we want to share our faith. Next, uh, Rahab and the spies agree that if Rahab doesn't rat them out, the spies will, in fact, see to it that Rahab and her family are spared. Uh, verse 14, the spies say, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land... When the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So then they come up with a plan uh, for both the escape of the spies and the safety of Rahab and her family. So in verses 15 through 21, Rahab lets the men down by a rope through the window as her inn was on the outside wall of the city. And they both uh, agree that, uh, to have Rahab put a scarlet cord in her window so that when the attack comes... The Israelites will be able to identify her house and, and keep Rahab and her family safe from harm. And then the, the rest of the story speaks for itself. Uh, verse 22, uh, the spies departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned and the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men, the spies, returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and they told them all that had happened to them. 
I find that interesting that um, it, it says all that had happened to them. Because the spies really didn't do much here, did they? You know, Rahab was pretty much the, uh, the organizer of all that had happened. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. They were pretty encouraged. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Which is basically a repeat of what Rahab had said to them. So this, this isn't the end of Rahab and her story. Uh, as many of us know, uh, later in Joshua, we'll hear of her rescue. Uh, then she shows up in the New Testament as well. Uh, Matthew 5.1, she's remembered as one of uh, Jesus' ancestors. Hebrews 11.31, uh, Rahab is remembered for her faith. You know, in that, that great uh, list of uh, faithful people that we find in that chapter. And then in James uh, 2.25, uh, Rahab is remembered for her good works. You know, that resulted from her uh, newfound faith. So it's not bad for a lying uh, pagan prostitute, is it? You know, praise God for that. So when we eventually read about Israel's uh, victory over Jericho, you know, it'll be a great story, of course, but it, it's also loaded with more theology. Uh, the story's loaded with more of who God is. Uh, the whole episode, the whole uh, story of occupying the uh, land is, is a spiritual story. Uh, God authored every uh, detail of the, uh, the battle plans. Uh, and and what, what, meant that, what that meant for Rahab and her family was that their salvation came straight from the Lord. Uh, he's the one who affirmed her faith you know, by salvaging the wall you know, where her home was, you know, despite the total destruction all around. And, and this, is, this is God's grace. This is God's grace in action. God's desire is to rescue every outsider. As uh, 1 Timothy 2 says, uh, it says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And th this part of the Joshua narrative confirms that God welcomes um, uh, all people. And the, the oath that was made between Rahab and the spies, you know, it reflects the oath that God made uh, to us through His Son. You know, just as the spies and Rahab kept their oath to one another for protection and safety, you know, so much more does God uh, keep His promises and His uh, covenant to us. You know, Jesus you know, opens the door to the Father in heaven and, and He invites all who will enter in. And, and just as uh, Rahab's uh, faith uh, included her in Israel's lineages, lineage, our faith you know, unites us in Christ and, and changes our identity and it changes our heritage. You know, sometimes you know, people in the church are, are reluctant uh, to invite uh, and embrace uh, those you know, with messy lives. Uh, those who are different. And we're reluctant to invite those into the family. But, you know, but God, God isn't reluctant. He's not slow to invite. God doesn't care about how messy your life is or my life or was. You know, he, he speaks directly 
to us uh, as he did uh, to Rahab. As we finish up, uh, Titus uh, 3, 3 through 5 says, For we ourselves were once foolish, you know, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, pretty messed up. But when the goodness of loving, goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Praise God. That's our God. You know, His grace and mercy are endless, and, and there's room for all of us in His kingdom. Amen? Amen.